you have peaceful shoes. When you arrive in a place and you step through the door, people see you. What do you bring with you? Of all the things that I've looked at in this consideration of warfare, the last thing I ever thought that we would be given is peaceful shoes. Yet those who go forth to do battle against evil must be people who carry peace in their hearts, and it should guide them as they go. We've discussed over the last few weeks about the continual battle that we have, the spiritual battle that we go through with evil. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. Our home's in heaven. We know that. It's become even more real in the last few days as one that was so precious to all of us was whisked away to heaven so quickly. These beautiful flowers were placed here by Alfred and Jamie and Matthew in memory of Helen Stewart. Ladies who, whose feet were always working around this place, always giving, always doing. In Selma, she was always teaching and working with young people across down the way at the library and here in the church with whoever needed her. And she had feet that were always going and serving. And her battle is over with. The warfare has ended for her. She's won the victory. She's free from the suffering in this world and the pain that, that is ahead. And we understand in a realistic way what it means to have peaceful shoes. Ephesians 6.11 says, Put on the whole armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. The reality is Satan is a defeated foe, but he has not been relegated to his judgment yet. We have to put up with him. He will tempt us. He'll test us, not as God would, would test us, but he, he does so moving toward destruction. He wants to absolutely eliminate your ability to live the Christian life, to be joyous and full of peace. He wants to take that away. He wants to use you as an example to others that Christianity can fail. And that is why you must put on the whole armor of God. Our instruction in this warfare is quite clear. We've got to put on these things. You know, peace with God brings the peace of God in our lives. And when we make peace with Him... And when we allow His Holy Spirit within us, we change. It is a peace that settles our nerves, fills our minds, floods our spirit. And in the midst of an uproar all around us, gives us the assurance that everything will be all right. Nothing else can give that in the world. I can remember years ago, back when I had cable TV, over seven years ago, one of the networks every night in the news would have th this, this little, little vignette that they'd do, and it would always begin with this phrase, it's us against them. And we listened to that, and it was us against them with the multinational corporations or with the food industry or big pharma or whomever. They always had a foe that was opposing us. And I didn't realize till years after I had cut the cord so to speak, that what they were doing was they were dividing us, not, not dividing us, you know, in a safe way, but, but giving us the reality that we could trust no one. I've got news for you. You can trust Jesus. 
You can trust the guidance of the Holy Spirit. You can trust God's holy word. You can trust God's people to gather together and worship. Now, are we perfect? Absolutely not. But we're moving in the same direction together. Do we fail and falter? Yes, we do. That's part of life. We're still in this world. We're tempted and tainted by sin. But as Martin Luther said many years ago, when we fall down, we always get up. We don't stay down. We don't move in the wrong direction. We don't give up. We continue to move forward. God gives us the blessings of that. And it's amazing that when we are told to put on the whole armor of God, it tells us that when we put that armor on, we're to stand. Now, I don't know about you, but I always picture soldiers as going forward to fight. Jesus says, put on the whole armor of God, and I will fight for you. But you've got to defend yourself. You've got to be properly suited in that armor so that Satan cannot come about and destroy you. If we'll stand firm, God will give us the strength that we need to do what we need to do to survive in this world. The footwear that we wear is so important. It is called the gospel of peace. We're looking at the gospel of peace because in the midst of a world that's in turmoil and they're dividing us constantly, we've got to have something that's peaceful in our life that will give us safety. Satan loves to start us running and going away from, from Christ and from the church and from his word. He'll start us running and he'll run us to death. I grew up like many of you did watching one of the greatest programs ever on television, Mutual Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Love that. I always realized, though, that I'm glad that I was not born a gazelle. Gazelles are beautiful, and they're graceful, and they're wonderful to watch until the lions show up, or a cheetah, or a jaguar. And if you notice what they always do, they go after the herd and they begin to move them about on the plain. And then they find one that's either young and inexperienced or old and weak. And they move the herd away from them. And then a group of those predators will take that one and push it away from everyone else. Away from the safety that's there. Away from the joy and the peace that's given with the body. And they move them out into an unfamiliar territory. And then they go in for the kill. Satan works the same way with us. He wants to destroy you. He can't take away your Christianity, but he can make you live as if you're lost. He can't take away your safety in the body of Christ, but he can run you out of it. He, he can cause you to become bitter and cynical and angry and frustrated. He can turn you into a signpost for evil, not for good. And many Christians find themselves in that place. In life, I've gone through many struggles. Some unexpected. And I've always found that the only safety I can find in, in times of struggles and frustration is on my knees, looking into the face of God. He loves us. He loves you. He wants to care for you. He wants to bless you. He wants to protect you. You've got to stand with Him. 
Ephesians 6.14 says, Having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, you're prepared for that battle. But I want to take you back to a passage in Isaiah in the Old Testament. There's a paraphrase of part of this in Isaiah 52 that talks about preparation there. And and the word preparation is, is not present in the Hebrew in the same way that it is in our language or even in the Greek in the New Testament. Romans 10, 15, Paul quotes this verse also, and he says, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. When you represent Christ wherever you go, you bring a beauty with you that's amazing. That beauty shows up. That beauty is not just the idea of, of, that we would think of beauty at looking at a flower that's beautiful. But it's using beauty as a, as a term to describe salvation. When the Christian shows up and begins to serve, everything changes. Everything. And people see the reality of Christ. I liked yesterday that, that the boys had shared with me that one of the grandchildren made the statement that, that, that their grandmother showed her Christianity through her pantry when she would cook. And that's true. She loved to cook for others. And that food was not just put there, it was prepared a certain way. There was a consistency about it. There was a wonderful situation when you would sit and dine. Uh, When Helen was cooking, you never ran out. Plenty of food. And that's what God wants us to do in the beauty of what we do. We're, We're to show up and we're to serve because we love. When Paul wrote this, he was chained up in a prison. Chained to a wall and attached to one of the guards in the event that somehow the wall would fall down, the guard could keep him. And he stood daily. And as the sun would go down, he looked at that soldier and he observed what he wore. And no doubt the Spirit of God spoke to him and gave him the understanding of how God works in wearing the clothing that that a soldier wears. The shoes that a Roman soldier would wear were not boots like we would think of that a soldier would wear in America. They were were more like sandals, and up the back would be a large leather strap, and it would strap around uh, the leg and hold it in place. But the the front part, top part, would be open so the feet could breathe because very hot there, very dusty and very dirty. These shoes were called caligas. And what was so unusual about them, the bottom of the shoe would be about an inch and a half thick of leather, solid leather. And into that leather, they would drive steel nails that had huge heads on them. They were made that way because the soldiers would walk upon roads that were absolutely covered with rocks. And many times, they were rough rocks, and it would be easy to trip. And they wanted to make sure the soldiers never lost their footing. That was very important to them. When they were in battle... If they ever lost their footing, whether they were holding a shield or a sword or a spear, they'd be in trouble. And so they had to stand and stand firm. When a soldier walked through, you heard it. It was noisy. And Paul looked at that and he thought about that which becomes the feet covering for the Christian is important. It's got to 
hold them upright. They've got to have a firm footing, whatever they come before in life. And the reality is our firm footing is not something that, that is devious or diabolical. It's not something that's strong and, 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 and hard, but it's something that's beautiful, peace. We come to do battle to bring about peace. That's what Jesus came for. Now, he came into a world that was divided. And he said, I, I, I come not to bring peace, but to bring a sword. And what he meant by that was people would have to make choice. They could continue to go in the old way that they walked in and follow after the flesh and, 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 and their selfish desires, or they could go against that which would mean dividing with family and friends and co-workers and neighbors and, and people that you really genuinely cared for, but suddenly your life would go in a different direction. And they'd know it. And they'd see it. Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. The gospel of peace that we wear on our feet is to bring peace in a world where there is no peace. Certainly you understand the importance of peacemakers. I always remember that they call the soldiers with the UN peacekeepers. Usually when they show up, the peace disappears. In the Old West, they had a, a Colt 45 that was called a peacemaker. That was forcing the peace. When you saw a man wearing that gun, you didn't want to get in a fight with him unless you were prepared to die. But this is a different kind of peace. Shouldn't we rely on our government for peace? Shouldn't that be where it comes from? Do you think peace will come out of Washington? Do you really? You think our politicians are looking for peace? No. Many times they want to create diversions and, and, and distortions of reality. They want to portray people as being evil who are only seeking peace. What makes us think that we can have peace without the Prince of Peace? When Jesus left our schools, the problems began, and now he's leaving our town squares. And he's leaving our government buildings. Not because he chose to leave, but because he was pushed out. Jesus only shows up where he's welcomed. And when we honor him and we recognize him, there he makes a difference. And yet so many people don't understand that. Now, what kind of peace did Jesus preach about? Think about that. Just like truth and righteousness, we have to put on Jesus to have peace. Peace is not a byproduct of, of simply, you know, doing the right thing. No, peace is more than that. It's a relationship with Christ that abides with us. Ephesians 2.17 says, And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. He wanted us to experience that peace, the peace of mind, the peace of heart, the peace with God that we have that lets us know that that. We may not have everything we would desire, but we're content because we have everything we need. And if we're careful about how we live our lives, we will have that peace with us that will bring about the joy of Christ that will last forever. 
Now, will Jesus bring peace to everyone? No. No, he won't. Because if you don't walk circumspectly with him, you will not be at peace. A preacher one time in seminary made the statement to one of the professors. He said, I like, like it when I finish a sermon and people come up and say nice things to me. And the professor, who was in his, well into his 80s, made this statement. He said, you know, a real sermon is the one that people walk out the door and try to hit you and slap you over. He said, a real sermon is one that, that leaves people uncomfortable. Because if you're trying, he, as he said, if you're trying to please people, you're going in the wrong direction. Christ didn't go in that direction. You know, it's amazing that Jesus reached out to, to the, the, the sinners and, and the party, partying group of his day, and he'd hang out with them. Because those were the ones that he wanted to reach with truth. But when he sat down and when he was around the religious leaders, who, by the way, had moved so far from God that they didn't recognize the Messiah when he arrived, he was angry with them. Because they were given every reason to succeed, and yet they consumed it on themselves and forgot about the fact that they were the town criers for the hope of the Messiah coming. And he got very angry with them. Very angry. Matthew 10, he said these words, and it was written to these religious leaders. He said, Do not think that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword, for I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. And that, that happened. There were people in the Sanhedrin who were so blinded that they never really saw the Messiah for who he was, but some of their family did. Pontius Pilate stood there and looked at Jesus, and he said the, he said the right thing. He said, I find no sin or guile in this man. And he looked at the Jews. He said, you can judge him. I can't. If you remember, Pilate had the experience, apparently, of a wife who was sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And in a dream, she was troubled about who this man was, that he was more than just a man. You know what she was? She was in the process of conviction to be saved. If she was saved, we don't know. I hope so. But she understood he was not merely a good person, that he was God. And sometimes we don't want God to come into our lives because God tends to dictate what we become and what we are. We want somebody to be an advisor, a consultant, somebody to say nice things to us and help us live a little bit better. It's tough to take bad news, criticism, isn't it? It's, it's tough to be... Be hard on yourself. It's painful. It's the way you change. That's what makes the difference. And Christ has called us to do that. And when he would demand that the religious leaders either walk away from their post or understand who he, he really was at that time, he was doing the right thing. He was working to bring about peace. Now, will we see the world at peace with one another? I would absolutely love to tell you that that's going to happen, but not in this world. Not in this world. In a conversation with someone the other day, we were recollecting the fact that God destroyed the world the first time with the flood. 
Second time, he'll destroy it with fire. There's a reason why he will use fire the second time. It's not that he just likes to be creative. The world today is going into such a dark and dismal area of sin. And horrible sin. I mean, sin that dates back to the origins of sin from the beginning. Sin that led people to worship pagan gods and sacrifice their own children. Sin that, 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 that permeated society so that, that the DNA of our culture is degraded. God is going to burn the world because we have contaminated this world. I've listened for the last time to someone on the news use something as foolish as the term Mother Nature. There is no mother nature. There's God who created this world. It is His. Satan is doing everything he can to destroy it. He won't destroy the earth. But he's degraded and contaminated it. You know, when, when the first murder was committed, and I've told you before, it was committed at a worship service. Cain and Abel came to worship God. They brought their offerings, and in the midst of that, one got mad at the other and slew him. And this was said by God to Cain. He said, your brother's blood cries out from the ground. And what he was crying out for was justice. Our world has so contaminated the earth with the blood of the innocents that God will have to burn this world to take away that, that heinous, horrible sin that's going on. We are called to be people of peace knowing that, that our feet walk about in a world that's broken and dirty and that's diseased and that's filthy. I love so much the reality of knowing that we're in a world that will never have peace, but the next world will be absolutely inundated with peace. Matthew 24 says, You, you, you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place. And it's here. It's here. But I hold fast to Jesus' words in John 14. John 14 is a passage that has always comforted me. Jesus said these words after describing to one there that didn't understand really how to get to heaven. And Jesus said, well, you don't need directions. You just need a person. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father but by me. It's not through Buddha. Not through Confucius. It's not through Allah. It's not through any of those other gods. They are not another way to God. There's only one way, Jesus. He's the way because, number one, He purchased the way for us to get into heaven. Number two, because God acknowledges He's the only way. But in the end of John 14, Jesus said these words that give me great comfort. He said, peace I leave you. My peace I give you, not as the world gives peace. Do I give this to you? Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. There's a lot to be afraid of in this world, but one thing you don't have to fear, 
is whether or not God will be with you. He will be with you through that storm. One of the great theologians in a past age was A.T. Pearson. And he was describing in one of his commentaries what the peace of God really was. And he said this. He said, it's that eternal calm which lies far too deep in the praying, trusting soul to be reached by any external disturbance. The storms can be on the outside, but inside you've got the peace of God that lets you know that everything, everything is going to be all right. That God is guiding your life like a ship. And you will fulfill your destiny. And He will bring about all that is fair, right, and true. Therefore, don't call up the National Weather Service and ask for a report of what the prevailing situation will be in the next 72 hours. Don't do it. You don't need to know. God has already told you, you're going to be all right. Because I'll be there with you. And I am so thankful for that. As we leave this air-conditioned room in a few minutes and go out to that sweltering outside where you could cook chocolate chip cookies on the sidewalk, the reality is this. God is with us wherever we go. The storms of life may buffet us, but they won't destroy us. And you have a faith that will get you through this life with peace. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that your holy word strengthens us day by day and gives us the encouragement of knowing that which is right always. Father, we trust you implicitly, but we also ask that your Holy Spirit would guide us, for we all struggle with sin. And not just the sin we see around us, but the temptations that come within our lives. And I pray that you could give us a peace and a calm to know that you will in the tender way that only you can do, Lord, you will root out that which is threatening us and causing us to not be what we should be. Father, speak to someone today who's struggling with that sin, who's having a difficult time of letting go. For Lord, we know that sin can encroach in our lives in such a way that it's hard to tell the sinner from the sin. And sometimes it's more difficult to tell the Christian from the old sin that we hold on to. Father, I pray that we would not allow anything to come into our life to take away the peace that we must have as we serve you. A soldier has to be confident. And if we're a soldier of the cross, we've got to have a confidence in you. So Lord, I would ask that you speak to someone this morning that's struggling with the reality of that. And Lord, if there's someone here that just simply needs to come into the family of God and be saved today, I pray your Holy Spirit would guide them safely into that relationship. And even in this moment of decision, they'd make that choice right now. For I am confident that your Holy Spirit will guide them in the direction that they should go. And Father, we pray this in your holy name. Amen.